All right, I want you to grab a seat real quick. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today. One of the things that we've been singing about is the fact that our God is always in the process of redeeming things. He's redeeming us, he's redeeming our world, he's redeeming our city. And one of the things that I love best about being a part of New Life Downtown is our heart for our city and for our nation uh, and for our worlds. The heart that we have for those who do not yet know Jesus, the heart we have for those whose lives may be in places that we found ourselves in, when there's moments of brokenness, of pain, of loss, of heartache, of confusion, and the ways in which you as a church continue to say, we wanna be there. We wanna be right where Jesus is in the very moments of pain in people's lives. And so this is Outreach Weekend, uh, Outreach Sunday at New Life, and one of the things that we're doing is recognizing that in that sense of being the church, we're gathered together and we're sent back out into the world, and individually, we have all places that we're sent, into our homes and our neighborhoods, our businesses, our schools, our, to our clients, all kinds of places that we get sent out. And yet also there's ways that the church corporately gets sent out, ways that we try to partner with uh, organizations in our city to reach our city, and ways that we work together with our other congregations to reach the world. So I want to invite Pastor Ken and Janelle to come up. They're going to tell us just a little bit about what's happening today with local outreach and global outreach opportunities, and then we're going to pray for uh, a mission team that we're getting ready to send out. So Pastor Ken, take us away. Good morning, New Life. Good, good, good. Hey, I'm so excited about today. All our outreach, all 10,000 of our outreach partners will be out in the foyer, and they'll be ready to greet you, to meet you, to speak with you, to answer any questions you have about their ministries. But before I jump to Janelle, let me just say this. Yesterday, many of you in your giving was able to give, and we, uh, let me just say this, I'm so excited. We touch the teachers of Palmer High School by completely redoing the teacher's lounge so that it actually looks like a lounge. Come on, guys. In addition to that, Jason may not want me to say this, in your giving, we're giving a large sum to the Salvation Army to help redo their uh, homeless shelter. So let's just say Jesus did it. Amen. Hey guys, I'm so excited to share with you about the global partnerships that we have. So a few things, I'm gonna be out there, outside, you can ask me about any of them. Um, but the first is we have a global outreach booklet. It's the same one we've had the last year. Um, so if you haven't gotten it yet, please go grab one. Pray for um, our congregants that are doing work around the world and here in our city for the world. Um, we also have a new insert for new families that have joined, um, so you can be praying for that if you already have one. Um, and then we are already sending out a team next year to Guatemala. So this team hasn't come back yet, but we're already excited to do it again. So we're going to Guatemala, Jay's gonna lead it, and applications for that trip already opened up yesterday. So come outside, come find me, come find out about the trip. Um, we also have um, child sponsorship cards with that partner in Guatemala, so you can come um, hear more about what that looks like. And yeah, let's pray for the team. Amazing. Guatemala team, come on up. These guys are getting ready to head to Guatemala on Saturday uh, for a week to work with another one of our partners there in country. And so we want to pray for them this morning. So church, if you want to reach your hands out to them, we're going to pray for them and bless them. This is the first time we've sent out a short team trip in how many years? Since before you were here, which was a long time, Jay. You're getting old. 
Jay and I came at the same time. So, all right, let's stretch out your hands toward this team. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the God that is, uh, as someone said in prayer this morning, you are the one uh, who goes and you are the one who sends. You're the one who came running after us, who pursued us, who became flesh and blood and moved in the neighborhood and, and made yourself known to us to rescue us and redeem us. And then part of that you include us in and you're a great rescue pro- project by filling us with your spirit, giving us your name and sending us out into your world to carry the good news of the gospel. So as these folks get ready to head out to Guatemala, we pray uh, that they would be carriers of the good news of Jesus Christ that they would carry the peace, the shalom of God with them wherever they go. And that as they serve, as they spend time with people, as they say yes to projects and to work and all the things they're gonna put their hand to, would they have a deep sense of your delight in them? And when they have a profound sense of the way in which you use our ordinary lives and ordinary opportunities to give witness to the gospel of Jesus, to the ways in which you are working and moving and redeeming in the world. May their time there be a moment where their faithfulness to you just goes deep, but even deeper is their realization of your faithfulness to them and your faithfulness to your people around the world. And would their time there be fruitful? May there be ways we can look and say, this is what Jesus did. This is how God used this time. And we pray over our partners in Guatemala. Would you strengthen them for the work that they're doing, for the way that this particular partner is coming alongside of orphans and widows and those that are in distress? And would their ministry continue to be a source of hope and strength and provision to those desperately in need? And may these folks be a strength and help to those that are doing the work day in and day out. Bless them, keep them, watch over them, give them safe travels, comfort their families while they're gone, and bless them in every way. And all God's people said, amen, amen. They will be outside after uh, the service as well, walking around so you can come grab any of them, pray for them in person, or if you had something you felt like the Lord put on your heart while we were praying for them, please come and share it to them. Now, take a moment, stand up, greet one another, and say hi in Jesus' name.
All right, good morning, everyone, again. Good to see you. If you are new or newer here to New Life Downtown, I wanna say welcome. We're so glad that you're here, especially if you're watching online, welcome. If you're new here in the room, we would encourage you after the service, stop by our welcome area or scan one of the little QR codes around. Let us know that you're here. Uh, stop by and meet one of our staff. We'd love to meet you and give you a gift. If you've been around for a while looking for ways to stay connected to New Life Downtown, please make sure you follow us on social media. We also have coming up on October 23rd, water baptism. So if you or a member of your family has never been water baptized, please come join us in the water. Uh, we'll have a class during the 9 a.m. service and then baptize during the 11 a.m. Uh, service on the 23rd. And now is our time to prepare our hearts to receive the word. And in preparing our hearts, one of the things that we do is we also give, is we recognize that the work of the church is a collective work where we bring a portion of the resources that God has given us and share them with one another and with the world around us. There are four ways that you can give. They're listed up here on the screen. If you're giving online or via uh, the smartphone app, please make sure you select New Life Downtown as your congregation of choice. Now let's prepare our hearts as we get ready to receive the word today. And I'm gonna grab the table for you guys. Hello, my name is Paula. The Old Testament reading is found in Nehemiah 10, 28 to 31. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the neighboring peoples to follow the instruction from God together with their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding. They join with their officials and relatives and make a solemn pledge to live by God's instruction, which was given by Moses, God's servant, and to observe faithfully all the commandments, judgments, and statutes of our Lord God. We won't give our daughters in marriage to the neighboring peoples, nor take their daughters in marriage for our sons. If the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or any grain to sell on the Sabbath, we won't buy it from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we won't plant crops, and we will return anything held in debt. The word of the Lord. Hello, I'm Kay. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Don't be tied up as equal partners with people who don't believe. What does righteousness share with that which is outside the law? What relationship does light have with darkness? What harmony does Christ have with Satan? What does a believer have in common with someone who doesn't believe? What agreement can there be between God's temple and idols? Because we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I live with them, and I will move among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separated, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. The, word, the Lord Almighty, the word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Melissa. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John 4, verses 4 through 9. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called 
Sakar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. This, the Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we find ourselves in that same place so often, of being tired from our journey and needing a drink of water. And so would your word today be drink for our souls? Would it be a way in which your spirit meets us here in the word and, the, and when we come to the table? May you refresh us. May you restore us. May you redeem us. May you quench things inside of us with your grace, with your goodness, with your love, and with your mercy. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you today. As people, as humans, we need relationships. We're made really for community, to be in relationship with one another, with those that are around us. It's part of actually even what it means to be made in the image of God, who is inherently relational, is that we are relational as well. And in our relationships, we find ourselves sort of either consciously or unconsciously thinking about is that in our relationships, whether those are dating relationships, whether those are friendships, whether those are business partnerships, all kinds of relationships, what we're really looking for is we're looking for chemistry. We're looking for compatibility. Sometimes in hiring kinds of conversations in business world or elsewhere, we'll talk about the three C's of hiring, that we're looking for someone with high character, that they have competency in what it is we need them to do, and they have chemistry between the people that they are going to work with. We're looking for that kind of compatibility or fit when we're thinking about dating apps. Dating apps are all sort of built around this idea that we answer all of these questions and that helps us sort of identify levels of compatibility with someone else that, hey, this relationship might work. This is someone that you get matched with based on that. When Sarah and I were dating, we didn't have dating apps, uh, but her parents gave us a book uh, from the guy who started eHarmony and said, we think you guys need to go through this. Um, I, I'm not sure why they felt we needed to go through it, but it was helpful. It was just like, okay, let's really be able to identify and assess where are those places of compatibility with us. We do this in all of our pre-engagement or engagement uh, sort of sessions around here. We're always trying to think in those kinds of relationships, friendships and business relationships included, What's the personality fit here? What is this person's style and habits and how does that imp like kind of fit with my style and habits? But maybe more importantly, what we're really trying to assess are those critical places of compatibility. Do we have similar values? Are we convicted about the same things? Do we have a common belief? The kinds of things that we're really looking to build lifelong relationships on. Because we do know that in any relationship that we're thinking about, that there are times where actually we find opposites attract and there's strength and diversity and all of those kind of things that we don't want to just be with people that, that think like us all the time. And yet, 
there are times where we just look at relationships and say, this isn't compatible because those places of values and convictions and beliefs don't really match up at all. We're walking through this series through Nehemiah, as Aaron said earlier, and this is actually our second to last week. We just have one week left. Uh, the first half of the book, chapters one through six, focus on Nehemiah's efforts on rebuilding the wall. And then chapters seven through 13 really focus on Ezra and Nehemiah's efforts to rebuild the community around observance of Torah, around observance of the law of God and living in such a way that is, they've been called into. Two weeks ago, we looked at how Ezra brought the word back into the community and they immediately responded in an act of obedience by observing the festival of booths. And then last week, we saw how as they were thinking about the word, they found themselves moving from feasting to fasting as they're convicted about their own lives and they're repenting and praying out in the distress that they find themselves in because even though they've come back to the land and even though they've rebuilt the temple and tabernacle the temple and even though they've reinstituted sacrifices and even though they've rebuilt the walls they're still living as oppressed people they're still living under the reign of foreign pagan governments and their exile really isn't over things are not everything that god wants them to be, yet their land is occupied, and they are harassed in some ways, especially economically. And so now we're picking up the story again, and this is right after they've just gone through this long prayer of repentance. They realize that they're in exile, they're in distress, they're praying out, they're rehearsing all their history with God, and then it gets to the end of the prayer, and then they make a sort of a renewed commitment. This is what it says, 9 verse 38. And so because of all of this, because all that's happened... We are now making a firm agreement in writing with the names of our officials, our Levites, and our priests on this seal. The language here is really covenant language. The word covenant's not used, interestingly, but the ideas are here. Where they're saying, actually, we're looking at all that's happened, and what we need to do is we need to recommit our lives to God. We need to sort of say, okay, God, we, we realize all that has gone wrong in our lives, in our ancestors' lives, and so we are, we are re-signing up. We are renewing our vows with you. We're saying yes to you again. And then in chapter 10, we get another one of Nehemiah's long lists of everyone who signs the paperwork, you know, who, who gives their yes and amen to like, yes, we're going to do this. We're going to get it right this time. We're recommitting ourselves, and this is going to be fantastic. And it comes to the end, it says the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites and the gatekeepers, even the singers and the temple servants and all who separate themselves from the neighboring peoples to follow the instruction from God together with their wives and their sons and their daughters and all who have knowledge and understanding. And they joined with their officials and their relatives. Like everyone's like, we're all in, we're doing this. And they make a solemn pledge to live by God's instructions, which was given by Moses, God's servant, and to observe faithfully all the commandments and the judgments and the statutes of the Lord our God. They find themselves in a place of distress. They repent and they're like, okay, now we're gonna do it. We're gonna live faithfully. We're gonna be obedient. This is sort of the core of their vow renewal. It's like, God, you've been faithful to us, so we are committing to be faithful to you. We're gonna live by your laws. And they make this general commitment to live by all of them. It's like, we're gonna do this. But then something really interesting happens. Over the next 10 verses, 
out of all of the things that they could sort of focus on in the whole collection of God's laws, they start talking about three areas in particular. They go from this sort of general commitment, like we're gonna do it all, to then three areas that they focus on in a very particular way. And I think they're focusing on these three because of their present historical situation. In the moment they find themselves in, as they're looking back over all the law and they're thinking about where they are and how they ended up where they are, these three areas come to the forefront of their mind. These are the things that they realize we particularly need to do these things. We need to emphasize these. And so they, they're looking at all of the laws that have come before and they're interpreting those, expanding them and applying them to their present context. And these are the three areas that they're like, here's what we're gonna especially do. First area, verse 30, they're gonna avoid interreligious marriages is the first thing that they recognize. The second thing is they go into a long list of things, the ways that they're gonna keep Sabbath and sabbatical and jubilee, that we're, we're gonna do these things. And then the next seven verses are about how they're gonna financially support the temple and the city that they just rebuilt. We've got all of this going now, and now we need to make sure it, it doesn't fall back into rubble and disrepair. And there's so much that can be said about any of those areas, but I wanna focus today on that first area, on Nehemiah's emphasis here at this point in time on prohibiting marriages to the neighboring people. And what we're gonna see as we walk through these passages is we're gonna see that his prohibition is actually about faith and about faithfulness. It's not about race and ethnicity. But these passages, just before we begin, I need to say this. These passages have been misread and misapplied to justify the prohibition of interracial marriages and the discrimination against multiracial people and families. These have been misused and misapplied to do great damage. It's actually, in, for years, interracial marriages were illegal in many states until they were ruled unconstitutional in 1967 by a Supreme Court decision. And then one state actually even still had it on its books, even though it was illegal until 2000. And of course, after a Supreme Court decision that didn't eliminate prejudice and discrimination and racism, those things have remained. And so at times, those things have come from people who've claimed the name of Jesus. And so I just wanna stop and say, if you or a member of your family have experienced prejudice, discrimination, and racism, because you are in a, in a multiracial marriage, that you are a multiracial person, that your family members, uh, I just wanna say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the ways that the, the scriptures have been used to justify people living in hateful ways toward other people. That is not the way of God, and it should not be the way of the people of God. And I'm really sorry if you have ever experienced that, and I'm praying that the Lord will heal you in the context of this community from the hurt and pain that you've experienced elsewhere. All right, Nehemiah 10, verse 30 says this. It says, we won't give our daughters in marriage to the neighboring peoples. I feel like I just don't wanna give my, my daughters in marriage to anybody. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's my own you know, sort of trouble uh, right now with three girls. So we won't give our daughters in marriage to the neighboring peoples, nor take their daughters in marriage for our sons. The language here is saying we won't give our daughters or sons in marriage to the peoples of the land. 
But it's a reference, it's pulling back to prohibitions that are found in Exodus chapter 34 and in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Interestingly, in those two passages, they name specific nations. And one of them, they name six nations, and the other one, they add a seventh nation. It's interesting, they don't say all nations, but they specifically name six or seven of them. And the nations they're naming are actually those who are going to be living in the land that Israel is sent to occupy. It's those nations that are already present in the land that has been promised to the patriarchs. And what we see is that they're being prohibited from marrying those folks who actually spoke similar languages, shared similar customs, but the stark difference between them is that they worshiped other gods. That was the stark difference. And Deuteronomy recognizes that these nations already living in this land are larger and stronger. So they're near and they're big and they're influential. So it's most likely that they are the ones who are going to lead Israel astray from their covenant obligations to God and to one another. They're the ones that are most likely to influence Israel. And we pick up Exodus 34, list the nations, and then it actually says why. It says, don't make a covenant with those living in the land, these nations that are listed. When they prostitute themselves with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, they may invite you to the party. And you may end up eating some of the sacrifice. You may end up even accidentally worshiping other gods. And then you might actually even go and choose their daughters and their wives for your sons and their daughters who prostitute themselves with their gods. They might lead your sons to prostitute themselves with their gods. He's using the language of prostitution here as a way of talking about a severe breaking of covenant obligations, a severe sort of way of of infidelity toward God. But you can see all the concern is related to covenant faithfulness. He's concerned that if you enter into a covenant, it's mentioned with covenant and mentioned with marriage, if you enter into a covenant, some sort of partnership, or particularly in marriage with these folks, what you might end up doing is committing apostasy, leaving faith altogether, or secretism, starting to blend faith. Say, no, I'll just take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And what happens? Israel doesn't listen. And this is exactly what they do. They start sort of blending out. We'll take a little Baal worship in here. We'll take a little Asherah worship in here. We'll we'll go a little bit here. And they start mixing together. And all of a sudden, we see them moving away from their faithfulness to God. Judges 3 puts it this way. And so the Israelites, they lived among these nations, those that are listed, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pizzaites, the Hivites. That's not really how it's said, but we do pizza every Sunday. So it's on my brain. And the Jebusites... But the Israelites intermarried with them, and what did they do? And they served their gods. They served their gods. Several instances we see this happening in the Old Testament, of them intermarrying with people of a different faith and then beginning to serve other gods. Now, we actually have several instances as well of people in the Old Testament marrying folks from other nations who were actually already faithful to Yahweh. And those relationships ended up being absolutely beautiful and wonderful. Ruth the Moabite being one of those. Ruth, who says, your God will be my God and your people will be my people, and says, hey, and Ruth gets included in the genealogy of Jesus. This is somebody from another nation who's saying, I want to follow Yahweh. And she becomes a part of the covenant people of God and the ancestor of Jesus himself. The big difference, of course, is that Ruth has committed herself to the Lord. 
and the others are not. They're worshiping their other gods. There's tension here, and a lot more could be said. There's other laws and situations that we could examine and other, you know, sort of tensions and trajectories that we could look at, but unfortunately, we don't have the time to do all those on a Sunday morning. But we can say definitively here is that Nehemiah is concerned with the impact of interfaith marriages on people's faithfulness to God. And in the situation that they're in, in the land that they're returning to, it's actually very similar to when Israel's coming into the land the first time. What the Babylonians had done is they had taken all of the sort of leaders of, of Judea and exiled them into Babylon and left lots of other people still in the land. But in the vacuum of leadership, you had a lot of other people moving in and you end up with this mixed population of people who are moving in, others increasing in power and influence, and all of a sudden you start to have apostasy and syncretism happening in the land. They're not coming back to just an empty space. They're coming back into this mixed population, and not everyone who's living there is following God. And so he's recognized that this presents a near and present danger in the same way it did before about people's faithfulness to God. And he pulls it out then to this larger sense of covenant relationships of saying, we've got to be aware of these things. And this is not, of course, unique just to the time of the Old Testament they're moving into the land or unique to them coming back. We find the same concern in the New Testament. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, says, don't be tied up as equal partners with people who don't believe. Older, older translations will say, do not be unequally yoked with someone. The word there really means mismatched like in an unequal or mismatched kind of relationship. And Paul's concern from that larger passage is the same as Nehemiah's. He's concerned about people's faithfulness to God and the way that our relationships either become the things that, that help us embody and live out faithfulness to God, or in some cases, our relationships with other people take us away from faithful worship to God. And there's all kinds of tensions here in the New Testament. Paul, earlier in his first letter to the Corinthians, is talking about a situation as, okay, what happens when you have two people who are married and neither one of them are followers of Jesus, and then one of them becomes a follower of Jesus, and now you've got an unequally yoked sort of marriage because someone's come to Jesus and the other one hasn't. What do you do? And he tells the follower of Jesus, try to stay in the marriage, and if the other person leaves, they leave, but try to remain faithful to that relationship that you've already committed yourself to. 1 Corinthians 5, he's dealing with an issue of situations where people claim to be believers, claim Christ, but they live in ways that are antithetical to the Christian way of living. They're sexually immoral, they're greedy, they're drunkards, they're worshiping false gods. And he says they might claim Jesus, but they're not living in any way like it. And so he says don't associate with them. They had earlier heard a different letter of Paul's saying don't associate with anybody those things, but he says, actually, that's the world that you live in. You're going to have to associate with people outside of Christ who live in ways that are not compatible to the way of Jesus. Otherwise, you're just gonna have to leave the world altogether, which is with the approach of some Christians. Like, we're just gonna create, you know, holy little huddles over here and never talk to anybody who is not another believer. And yet we know that we're actually called to take the gospel into the whole world. Jesus himself has this moment where there's this Samaritan woman at a well. 
And he sees her and he approaches her. And what's the comment the writers make? Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus is like, not me. I'm coming and associating with friends, this woman. He's entering into relationships with people all of the time. Our gospel reading shows Jesus recognizing he's coming for all. And then he sends us out to all. The Great Commission, go into all the worlds and make disciples. This is Outreach Sunday where we're talking about the ways that we can reach our city and our world with the gospel. We know as the people of God, we're called into missional relationships, called to be in relationships where we can witness to the way of Jesus, where we can evangelize, where we can disciple, where we can mentor, where we can come alongside and help people and add strength to their lives. And so we've got all of these kind of things coming together, and I wanna just try to summarize it this way. So I think as the people of God, we're called to keep our covenant relationships, to pursue missional ones, opportunities to share the gospel and to witness and to disciple and to mentor and to care and to bring strength. And at the same time, we're called to flee mismatched ones, relationships that actually take us away from our faithfulness to Jesus, to, to flee the relationships that actually become hazardous to our souls, that actually cause us to separate for the one who has rescued us. But how do we know the difference? How do we discern that? How do we know? How do we kind of think through those things? How do we decide if a relationship is mismatched as opposed to being missional? One that we actually find ourselves in, what Paul is concerned about an unequal partnership versus those places where the love of Jesus is compelling us into the world to come alongside people and to love them and to show them the goodness of God. How do we discern that in our friendships? How do we discern that in our business and financial partnerships where we're making sort of long-term financial commitments and plans together? How do we discern that in dating and engagement relationships as we're thinking about something we might commit our lives to? And so I wanna propose today three questions to ask that I think can be a helpful starting point for the conversation. These questions are not self-sufficient. They're not all sufficient to handle every situation, but I think they're important questions that we then wrestle with God in prayer. We talk in conversation with wise and trusted counselors and friends and mentors, people that are discipling us, people that are leading the way for us. And in these questions, I'm particularly using the word produce do these relationships produce faithfulness? Because I think it's important in these kind of conversations, we're trying to discern what kind of relationship we find ourselves in, to take an honest assessment of the fruit that the relationship is producing, not the intent or the hope that we have for the relationship. But to be honest about what is actually happening in this relationship, not like what we hope will happen. And so the first question is this, is does this relationship produce faithfulness to Jesus? That's the basic question. Is that when we're in a relationship with someone, is that relationship actually leading us into greater degrees of faithfulness to Jesus? Is that relationship encouraging us in prayer and in scripture reading and in giving and in serving? Is that relationship actually leading us into holy living? Is that relationship leading us into places where we are looking for all the ways that we can do good in the world? Are they encouraging us to cultivate that deep intimacy and abiding love of God in our lives? 
Is that what's happening in this relationship? And even if it is a missional one, are we finding that as we move toward that person in prayer and a desire to love them in the name of Jesus, is our way of approaching leading to us being a faithful witness to the love of God in their lives? Or is it mismatched? Is it actually leading us away from our faithfulness to God? That the one we find ourselves spending more and more time or entering deeper into a partnership with this person, we're not actually leading them closer to Christ, but the dynamics of the relationship are actually leading us both further away. That actually our faithfulness to Jesus is not being nurtured in the context of this relationship. The second question is this, is does this relationship produce faithfulness to the church? It may seem like an odd question to ask. And notice I'm writing big C church there, not little C church. So I'm not talking about, uh, there are times I know when we, we find ourselves, maybe especially in a dating or engaged relationship and moving toward marriage. And one person says, okay, this person's deeply connected here to their community of faith and we're gonna start worshiping together over there. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking big C faithfulness to the church, the people of God. There is a tendency in our culture to separate the faithfulness of, our faithfulness to Jesus and our faithfulness to the church, capital C Church. That idea that faithfulness to Jesus is one thing and faithfulness to the church is another thing is completely foreign to the New Testament and completely foreign to church history. It is a uniquely Western, individualized, post-enlightenment issue. The church did not that was contrary to their thinking because if you love Jesus, you love his people. The two things go together. They just do. And if you're wanting to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, then it means to be in discipling relationships with other people in the church. Faith is not a sort of solo project. It is always a communal endeavor. And so what happens in mismatched relationships is what what begins to happen is that we disengage from the life of the church. That rather than realizing, oh, I'm in this relationship with someone and I'm witnessing to them and I'm, I'm coming alongside of them and I'm helping them and I need the strength and support and the community of the church as I head out in this mission, we begin instead to drift away from our commitment to the life of God in the people of God. Does this relationship produce faithfulness to the church? A greater sense of connection and commitment and life spent in the people of God. And the third and final question to put before you is, does this relationship produce faithfulness to your other covenant relationships or your other covenant-like relationships? I know the way that we primarily think about covenant relationships now is primarily thinking about marriages, which is an important factor in the middle of this. But thinking about, in the, in the Old Testament, we have examples of covenant friendships, like those between David and Jonathan, those that are, we, we are going to act like family toward one another. We are going to live like family. We see that clearly in marriage, but there's all kinds of ways that the church has lived out this commitment toward one another, that we have said, hey, I, we're going to do life together. We're going to be in life together. We're going to live out a way of committing and faithfulness to one another. And when we're assessing these kind of relationships, we have to ask, is this producing greater faithfulness to those that we're already committed to or not? Because what mismatch relationships will do is will cause a separation or a divide or a division 
in the relationships that we're already called to be faithful in. That will begin to pull us away from Jesus, pull us away from the church, and pull us away from those that we've already said yes to, that we've already committed our lives to in a deep and meaningful way. This is oftentimes what happens in marriage separation situations is that someone says, I'm going to give a yes to this person in a way that actually violates the covenant yes that I gave to somebody else. So we have to ask at least those three questions. And if we look at those and say no to any of them, no, this relationship doesn't produce increased faithfulness to Jesus, it doesn't produce increased faithfulness to the church and doesn't produce increased faithfulness to those that I am in covenant-like, family-like relationships with other people, then there's a good chance that that's a mismatched relationship and not a missional one. And then we're actually just pretending it's something other than what it is. And those are really hard places to be in. Because then we find ourselves going, well, then what do I do? What do I do in that situation? And I would encourage you, if you find yourself in that place, first and foremost, to pray, to wrestle through these questions with God, to seek wisdom with people that you trust, people who you know are faithful to God and faithful to the church and faithful to their covenant relationships. Ask them, seek wisdom, seek discernment in the middle of those conversations. And ask yourself, is there any sort of clear and reasonable path that this could change? Is, is, is there a way that this relationship could actually move into a different space? A real and actual sort of place of change, not a hopeful or wishful one. Like, to be honest about what that might look like. And if there's not, then what the scriptures teach us to do is that we need to flee those relationships and entrust those people to God. That he can reach them in another way. That he can actually reach them through lots of people who might be able to be in a, in, a, in a ministry-oriented relationship with them that can produce, that they can answer all three of these questions, yes. And we have to be humble and say, we cannot right now. And trust them and yourself to God. But if you can answer yes to all of those questions, you're thinking about a friendship, you're thinking about a relationship in your life, and you're like, man, when I spend time with that person... They're encouraging me in my life with Jesus. They're encouraging me in my life with the people of God. And they're encouraging me to fill, fulfill my responsibilities, my obligations, my commitments to other people. They are for my marriage. They're for my covenant-like um, friendships. They are, they are for me in every way. If you can say yes to all three of those questions, then thank God for that person. Thank God for that friend. Thank God for that spouse. Thank God for that parent or grandparent or mentor or someone that's come along your life. Thank God for them and lean into that relationship even as you pursue missional relationships, ways to reach out into our city and our world. As we come to the table this morning, what we're doing here at the table is, is a couple of things related to this. One is we're remembering the faithfulness of God. All of our faithfulness, you guys, all of our faithfulness is simply a response to his. And in any time that our faithfulness finds itself short, which it does its whole life, our whole life, our faithfulness always comes up short compared to God's. We're celebrating his faithfulness to us, his forgiveness, his help, his support, 
his encouragement, his way of continuing to keep covenant even when we fail in the middle of that. And what we're doing is something very similar to what Nehemiah and the people are doing is we're coming back and saying we're renewing our commitment. We're gonna be honest about the places that we have, where our faithfulness has come up short. We're asking for forgiveness and we're renewing our commitment, our faithfulness to God. But what I want us to do also as we come to the table is just take a moment to think about one person in your life who you can answer all three of those questions yes with. Man, this person has really helped me develop faithfulness to Jesus. They've shown me what that's like. Maybe it's the person who first shared the gospel with you. Maybe it's a parent who you'd look at the way that they live and you're like, man, what I wanna do when I grow up is I wanna be like them. Who's the person who encourages you in your life in the church? Who's the person that encourages you in your marriage? She says, hey, I wanna help you with this. I wanna, I wanna help fight for your marriage with you. Who's that person? Or in your spiritual friendships or those relationships that you have that are dear to you because they're the ones that are helping you to follow Jesus. And take a moment right now as we come to the table and just want you to thank God for that person and say a prayer for them before we come to the table and celebrate God's faithfulness to us. And we come again to Jesus' table. This great friend of ours, this great covenant keeper to ourselves, our souls, his church. All who believe in Jesus as the true king of the world are welcome to receive right now in this space, regardless of your church background or affiliation. If you don't believe as we believe, thank you for choosing to spend Sunday morning with us. We're honored that you're here, that you're sharing in this space, and we encourage you to keep coming and keep asking questions about Jesus. However, if you are ready to believe in Jesus, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time and follow his teachings, we invite you to join this morning as we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness and place again our trust in him. The prayers of our confession will come up on the screen. Let's say this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. It is my joy this morning to announce the good news to you. Words that are true, not because I say them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive again this mercy of God, that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners, and this proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you.
as those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, would you stand together and greet your brothers and sisters around you and share this peace of Christ with them? Beloved, we believe that Jesus is here. So lift up your hearts and let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right all over the space this morning. It is right. It is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, for you formed us in your image. You breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. And it was on the night that you were handed over to suffering and death that our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of God's mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim this mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. All of us who are in Christ are part of a priesthood of believers. So would you stretch out your hands with me or open them up heaven? We're going to invite the Holy Spirit in this moment now. So... Father God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Jesus, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Jesus returns in final victory. Amen. Amen. I want to invite the servers up now. And as they come, this is how it's going to work in just a moment. Starting at the beginning of each section in the front, you'll exit your rows to the left and come. And come forward. If you're in the balcony, you can come down and join this section on my left, your right, or there's a table up in the corner with prepackaged elements up there. If you're unable to come forward, just ask someone around you if they can grab elements for you and bring them. If you're not receiving, we ask that you still go through the line. The rows are pretty tight, so it just helps with the flow. But then when you get to the front, just walk, walk right on by and return to your seat. As you come forward, there'll be a server, first with a napkin they'll place in your hands, and then there'll be two section, or two sets of server stations in front of these sections, and you can alternate between those. They'll take, the first server will take the gluten-free cracker and dip it in the non-alcoholic wine and then place it on your napkin. You can receive right then and there. You can go back to your seats and receive with those who came with you. This is our worship response to God's great faithfulness to us. The table is open. Let's come in response and worship him again.
The centerpiece of all that is The selflessness of triumph Demands our highest worship Glory to the Father Glory to the The shadowlands will fade away. At last, the one who is to come Oh, 
Join together and sing your next song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise as you go from this place to be on mission in every relationship and covenant and friendship, every person you meet, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn to you and grant you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now go being filled with his Holy Spirit to be the light to all the world. We'll see you around town and next week.